Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction. And free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's the crime of the season. Crime, crime, crime. Where morals die. With these crimes, tell them to be easy. Club, club, club. Then I'll try to understand. You tell me of those crimes in foreign lands. All fucked up shit at home. It's the crime of the season for us. What's your name? Who's your daddy? My name is Jack Beaumont, a.k.a. David Deckham, a.k.a. the 21st century cat weasel. My daddy is none of your business. Thanks for joining us. I'm not sure I deserve your presence, really, having taken over a year to get this fifth series together. Does any podcast, especially one as Tin Pot as Crime Club, deserve to retain its listenership after such a long time away? It's not for me to say, so I'll just say thanks for your continued ears. I hope they wiggle with guiltless joy at the latest harvest from the fucked-up content farm that is Crime Club. Grab your pitchfork. The first episode back is with a chap called Barrett Brown. Real name? Here's a bit of background. Barrett had his house raided twice by the FBI. He's done four years in the big house stateside and was referred to as the spokesman for Anonymous after some seriously tasty business with Mexican cartels. He's a naughty fucker, basically, or massive nuisance if you're one of the shady intelligence agency contractors or police forces he's investigated, with bollocks almost as big as his brains, and I say that as someone with an upper second class honours degree from a bang average uni who once ran onto the track at Wimbledon Dogs before being tackled and removed by security. Anyway, let's meet B to the B, shall we? Crime Club I wanna know If you did that crime The majority of people I talk to Use fake names because They're admitting to stuff that they've done And they don't want to be grassed up Or they're just civilians And they can't be asked without smoke um, But given that you're What you're going to talk about Or what your crazy stories are Because it's all about crazy stories basically uh, I'm primarily you. employed to talk about the truth <laughs> Exactly, it's your fucking job yeah. It's your full time legit career So I read something about how you are basically not even meant to be here because of your past incarceration. Right. Yeah, before having been yeah arrested, uh, sentenced for more than four years in another country without having appealed afterwards. We learned all this from this fucking immigration attorney, you know, my own great expense a few weeks ago. I'm not sure why they let me in. There's a couple, two obvious reasons. One is a confidence. The other is that uh, they didn't want to cause a big thing about it, which I understand. Um, now I can go Yeah, so the law is, if you've done four years... 
Is it, is it just it, for the states or is it any country? Apparently, I think it's any country from what I can tell. But yeah, so that's so it's it's yeah four years. If you hadn't appealed it, you're not meant to be here, but you are. I remember you saying basically you just fucking walked in because there's no. I mean, everyone's come back from holiday, fucking Gatwick, and you just walk straight through. I've got something to declare. No, I don't. And you walk through. Yeah, okay? I mean, I, I had to fill out a little thing like a visa, uh, you know, medical visa application um, on the plane. See the four years. Should we talk about that? Well, oh, you know what? First off, we go FBI raid because that's yeah, sure. pretty high octane yeah, action. So you're at, you're actually online, weren't you? You're doing like you're having like a talk online, and then when you got fucking raided, is that right? Yeah. So I had already been raided once uh, when this this second raid happened, the one that's that's on YouTube. Uh, I've been raided with the search warrants uh, six months prior. Uh, the same day that a bunch of several British nationals actually were, were raided and arrested as well, March 6, 2012. And so I knew that the FBI was coming back for me at some point. I knew, I didn't know what the charges would be. Um, had an inkling from what they had said uh, that it would involve fraud in some way, which was ironic. And that they were also going to charge my mom as well in order to put pressure on me, which is a very common tactic in the U.S. in particular. The days previous to this this second raid, when I was arrested, uh, in the days previous, I had put out a bunch of information about the way the FBI had been coming after me. Uh, the, their use of collaborators and cooperators and informants, their use of companies like Powell and Turner H.B. Gary, which were the firms I've been investigating and you know which they were investigating. And the, the simple word for these is kind of just uh, intelligence agencies. Intelligence contractors is, is one of the terms we use. Uh, there is no, unfortunately there's, there is no good term for them. Uh, they call themselves security firms oftentimes, security providers, which always makes it hurt more when they get hacked. Um, you know, you know, Palancer, Booz Allen Hamilton here in the UK, you've got tons of them as well, uh, BAE. And these are different to your garden variety like G4S because they do security and stuff, but are you talking like a level above that involved in higher stakes uh, information? Yeah, sort of. So here's the, the thing about these companies is it's not hard for anyone to start up a company in Virginia or California or the UK or whatever and immediately start getting contracts with the Air Force, with the Pentagon, with, with Bahrain, with Saudi Arabia, with Israel, you know, with other private companies that want clandestine black ops espionage, black ops operations against activists and so forth. And so these companies vary. I mean, you have, you have Booz Allen Hamilton was one of the better known even back then. It was still not very well known, uh, but it shares vice presidents and presidents with the NSA. So it's basically it's somewhat an extension of the state while also having, you know, aspects of, of a private, you know, mercantilist uh, entity. Increasingly, these companies do major, very high-end stuff. They answer uh, requests for proposals by the U.S. government or whoever, you know, saying we want this kind of technology that will allow us to create all these fake online people in order to engage in, in disinformation or whatever. And then so all these companies will see these these bids, which are which are public, uh, just not very well known or easy to find, uh, and re respond with, oh, here's what we can do, blah blah. And someone wins the contract. So a lot of the high-end stuff that you know in, in a previous generation would be done within the Pentagon or within. Uh, Interpol or within you know any number of other things uh, are now being done largely outside of it by veterans you know the Air, Air Force intelligence or CIA and so forth or people who aren't veterans at all just you know software people uh, and so it makes it messy uh, from their standpoint and ours I mean it means the state is in the course of creating increasingly viable increasingly dangerous techniques and practices they are you know outsourcing that in a way where, where this these technologies when they're developed can then be turned around by these same companies and sold to others uh, used by others so you already had a situation a couple decades ago where no single person in the u.s whether it be the pentagon or whatever the president of the cia could tell you all the abilities that we now had in terms of monitoring people in terms of putting this information uh, that is vastly more the case now no one has any idea what is possible with ai quote unquote 
with uh, you know procedural generation with with these uh, with neural networks, for instance. And that's the other dangerous aspect of this. It's because one of the these people aren't accountable. They're not accountable, just like states, and also because it's so spread out and compartmentalized. Uh, some people don't even know what they're working on. They're working on part of a software platform over here, and they think it's for this one particular thing, but it's going to be combined with this other compartmentalized project at the, at the upper levels. But even then, again, like when you have that much interplay between private companies and the state, and the state is already a big, complex, giant apparatus, as it had been in the U.S. even after World War II, then it just makes it that much more difficult for anyone to really run things. It makes it that much more difficult for any policy to really be policy. In result of all these things is that the whims or, or personal uh, economic or ideological aspirations of the individuals involved here and there can be acted upon, and it's hard to keep track, even for them or for us. Crime, 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 the second raid is when they took you in and you didn't get released until four years later. Is that the second raid? Yes, yes. So that was the second raid. So I was, I was at that point doing a video uh, conference with some of my volunteers and so forth. Uh, you know, I wasn't, wasn't, weren't doing anything serious. We were kind of fucking around. And yeah, so at, so at some point, uh, I heard a wrestling at my door at my apartment. I walked over. I was holding a 40 of, which is a 40 ounce bottle of, of, of alcohol. I, I noticed you guys don't have 40s here. You have 32 ounces and so forth. Yeah, I don't need to have to do ounces to drink, so I'm guessing it's like liters or something. We have liters. Right, right, there. yeah. It's all, yeah, it's all, all very pints. complicated. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but uh, so I walked over the door and, you know, shirtless, which is important because it showed up, you know, I didn't have any weapons opened the door and didn't know what I was looking at at first some kind of complicated scene where there's a big metal thing and like heads and suddenly shouting and then I'm being pushed back and I'm thrown on the ground and there's lots of screaming and guys with semiotic weapons running through my apartment and uh, being pushed down uh, with someone's knee into my spine and the floor you know in a way that my my ribs were, were pretty quickly uh, bent inwards uh, they were bruised not broken luckily a lot of this was captured on the, uh, the live stream video someone was recording it which is common back then I was generally being surveilled by private parties as well mm. so that went, went on YouTube very quickly um, and so yeah so I was raided and uh, not charged yet uh, the charges would in fact I was held for the first several weeks under what was called a criminal complaint rather than actual indictment which is to say I was not charged with anything whatsoever although unfortunately some of the newspapers in the US and elsewhere had already decided what it was I had done and that I was probably guilty within about 24 hours including some of the papers I used to write for in Dallas which is obnoxious isn't it? Within the next few months, by December, by Christmas, uh, the raid happened in September of 2012, and by December of 2012, I was then facing 105 years worth of federal charges under 17 different counts of, of things. Could you name a couple of example counts? Yeah, so the 17 counts, 11 of them were each individual counts of what they call aggravated identity theft. It was a weird statute to charge me under because the conduct in this case was copying and pasting a link from an anonymous-run uh, IRC internet relay chat, chat room where we did a lot of the stuff, to my Project PM group chat room, which was mostly reporters and uh, researchers, people who with me had been looking into these companies for a while, uh, copied and pasted a link, you know, just quickly, and then asked in the main chat, where, what was that link? Jeremy Hammond, one of my co-conspirators, uh, as, as it were, replied, oh, that's B and C, what do you say, C and C something, like a bunch of jargon. I was like, okay, I don't know what that means. Then I figured out the credit card numbers. I never downloaded the file, never opened it. Government's on Forensics showed that. But uh, I was charged for that copy of pasting a link, 11 counts, two years each, uh, cumulative, which is to say that for those 11 counts alone, I was facing 22-year mandatory minimum in federal prison. Now, those charges were later dropped. Like a lot of them were because, among other things... The other ones were dropped, but they kept, the stat, kept those 11 relating to that. No, no, no. no those, those, were, those were the ones that were dropped actually first, okay. uh, two years later. I mean, it took a lot of doing. But uh, 
So you've done two years of time before they even fucking drop those flimsy charges. Two, two and a half before I was sentenced. Yeah. Fucking hell. Carry on my wayward club. Those counts, the identity theft thing, did not even apply to the credit card numbers because credit cards are not identifying government issued IDs, which the statute says. So it's a real basic violation of the statute, for one thing. Aside from all the free speech and research and journalism issues that came up and were, were articulated yeah, very well. To put well that into layman's terms, why should you get nicked for fucking sharing a link? Yeah, exactly. Like Especially that, yeah. given, given like the context, I mean, the IRC, which they had everything, you know, they have all my communications from back then, shows that I wasn't in the business of, of using stolen credit card numbers, which is one of the reasons I had no money. So they were dropped for several reasons, um, but primarily because the, the law did not even apply to that action, which they knew. I mean, but unfortunately, they can hit you with any law, and it's up to you to get money for a lawyer and uh, try to convince a judge of this. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. This ain't no disco. This ain't no country club, neither. This is Crime Club. learning about a few other cases in the states what they do so frequently is they jump up the charges and, and intimidate you with like you said something ridiculous like a hundred odd years and then they enter the plea bargain stage yep. which 97 or so percent of cases do yep. so they never have to go to trial they'll intimidate you with a big sentence and then you'll have to it's your lawyer's job to chip away at that big intimidating sentence to get exactly. the best deal exactly right? so they were making they started making me offers final offers they made two subsequent final offers uh, you know within about a year of my imprisonment the first 
offer was that I had to cooperate with them, and I said no. And then after that, after I turned that down, they, they indicted my mother as, as planned. And then the second final offer uh, was that I would just plead to one of those 11 counts of identity theft, meaning that by that point, two and a half years into it, I would have perhaps gotten out of prison right then. And I turned that down because those charges were vastly dangerous. You know, as oh, no, yeah, so I've looked into this a bit. So it sets a precedent of other people being able to get nicked for it, those it bullshit, could, yeah. flimsy charges. Yeah. Yeah. So and I just was... quickly, the mum thing, they charged her because she hid a laptop or something? I yeah, she helped uh, hide uh, some of the laptops. That I, so I, I went over to her place, uh, which is also in Dallas, where I was living, the night before the raid. Uh, I had an idea that they were coming um, to my place. I did not expect them to be able to get a warrant so quick at her place. Uh, the reason I knew that is because one of the great things about what we do is that to the extent that one watches us closely or even just, you know, vaguely, it's not hard to determine that we're kind of on the right side of things here. And so there's a lot of people within the government, and some of them have become well-known leakers, you know, Edward Snowden, uh, uh, Chelsea Manning, make public things that need to be public. And so that's why staying on the right side of, you know, uh, having a very, a very strict ethical code is very important. It's crime club, you fucking back to front. And the rest of my charges are for the aggravated identity theft, uh, seeking to obtain or no, or make public or something uh, restricted information on a federal official, which was an FBI agent that I was looking into because, you know, I had already caught these guys doing a bunch of stuff that was not on the up and up, but I wanted to see if they had connections, what connections they had, aside from the ones we already knew about, to these same firms we had been investigating, like Palantir and so forth, threatening a federal agent. Accessory after the fact to the hack of a protected computer, which was that of uh, Stratford, one of the companies uh, that we have investigated. The original search warrants that they had carried out in that first raid, the subjects mentioned on their search warrants were anonymous, um, my group Project PM, my old website, echelon2.org, uh, the new version of which we'll, we'll get into later is now back up. H.B. Gary, one of the companies that uh, the president had to resign over, CEO to resign after we exposed uh, what they were doing with the DOJ. Just quickly, what were they doing with the DOJ? One of the big things that I was best known for uh, back then, although it, was, it wasn't just me who, who put this out, a number of us working on, the, on these investigations, was uh, exposing something called Team Themis. This was a sort of corporate strike team uh, established by Palantir, H.B. Uh, Gary, Barrico and in-game systems. They were setting up a, a team whereby companies could come to them and they would be in a position to go after activists on their behalf, to investigate them, to disrupt them. And according to their slides that uh, Anonymous hacked and that we were thus able to look at and review, according to their proposals, their emails, they would, for instance, on behalf of Bank of America, which was very worried about WikiLeaks at that time, they would uh, go after WikiLeaks in various ways, including using crimes, including using uh, hacking measures against WikiLeaks assets, Perhaps more notably, they were talking about uh, putting pressure on people like Glenn Greenwald, uh, who was identified by them correctly as one of the big, more effective defenders of WikiLeaks back then, you know, sort of publicist of WikiLeaks. Now, he was a journalist who was writing for The Guardian at that time. Long story short is they were caught planning and beginning in initial stages of a number of things that were illicit, that were, were quite deleterious to democracy and to basic aspects of democracy which in some cases were arguably illegal, and in some cases were arguably illegal in the same ways very young people involved in this movement have been already been raided for allegedly doing you know, a few months prior. Very, very telling episode, obviously. So that was Team Themis. That was, uh, which involved H.P. Gary Palantir and so on, and th that was one of the main things uh, that we had put out, and that, you know, back then in February 2011, when it first came out, uh, had gotten a whole lot of press coverage, and had even prompted a congressional investigation overseen by a Democrat from Georgia, uh, Hank Johnson, 
who was, you know, of the uh, Judiciary Committee, who was trying to investigate what the DOJ's role in this was. What was shown by the emails, quite clearly, was that DOJ's role had been to facilitate this. Bank of America and the U.S. Chamber of Commerce had both come to the DOJ, which apparently is sort of a concierge service for, for private, you know, illicit interests, asking them, hey, you know, can you know anybody who can help us go after activists and journalists? And where DOJ's like, of course, we're the DOJ. Do you know what kind of pressure they're applying on the prosecutors and the, and the, and the judicial system? So we know a little bit about that. I know that, I mean, uh, pressure might not be the right word in this case. The, the main DA, not the one who was actually the prosecutor, but the one overseeing it. What's the, what does it. What does that stand for again? Oh, district attorney. Okay. Yeah, so this is federal district attorney. So, uh, so she, as soon as my case concluded, after I was sentenced, uh, she was made head of ICE, Immigration's Customs Enforcement. Joe Fionda, one of my associates who was involved in Project PM back then and has since then, he's done a lot of these documentaries and is heavily involved in investigating the Trump administration most recently, but back then also a lot of the Intel companies as well as Ukrainian oligarchs and stuff. He's the one who brought this to my attention a while back and he's, he's very strongly believes, and I agree with him, that that was a reward for having to go through this very, very difficult, unattractive prosecution of a journalist, you know, an activist. Yeah, uh, pat on the back for doing the dirty work. Yeah, uh, but the short version is, it's hard to say. It, these are the kind of people who work in the DOJ, for the most part. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't mean all prosecutors are like this, or all FBI agents are like this, but there are very distinct personality aspects that are very uncommon to come across outside of the DOJ that one finds there. And so it's very, it's very shocking and kind of surreal to deal with these people. They are not like you and me. Mm. They're not even like you know people passing by on the street out here. They're not like regular cops. They are, in some cases, very I think sick people. So it's hard to say how much pressure was required as opposed to how much they wanted to do it anyway. Northern District of Texas, where I was prosecuted, the FBI is notoriously unhinged. I mean, even compared to the FBI on a whole, DOJ same thing. So this was more of a matter of you know, I happen to be a district where these people lack a certain kind of, I mean, that aside from lacking any kind of ethics and morality, they also lack a degree of competence, which is, you know, useful, mm. uh, obviously, for us. That was manifested in a number of very distinct ways, like them taking my copy of the Declaration of Independence, you know, in in the search, and listing on my, on my items of, of items seized in relation to an investigation into crimes. Declaration of Independence, of course, for those who may not be aware, it is the founding document of the United States that the uh, founding fathers uh, signed and sent to England. It's a document that is anti-royalist. Uh, Fundamentally libertarian as well. Yeah. And the reason that was taken is because among a lot of the FBI, there's, there's obviously a lot of libertarian and right-wing groups in particular, but also left-wing groups that are, you know, will talk about the Constitution quite a bit, either in correct context or not. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, it's like the Bible. Everyone has, a, you know, people have an opinion about what it says, and it obviously says a lot of things. But uh, the Constitution is associated with, and, and some documents were FBI were leaked years ago that kind of that, that show their instructions on this. It, they are associated with by a lot of FBI agents with militia movements and so forth. Now that's amusing because they are the founding documents of this country, the federal government. So it is a weird thing to have those be used as evidence of crimes. Honey, honey, me and you, let's do the crimes we like to do. Do a little crime. So in the two and a half years when I was fighting the case, uh, I, was, I was in different jail facilities, and there was a couple that were actually local county jails that had been set up to accept overflow among federal uh, uh, jail detainees, because the feds have had then and were continue, have continued to 
arrest more people than they have room to uh, to jail. Yeah. And so I was in several different ones. And uh, no, we were. I mean, we're generally we're in, in the day room uh, most of the day. Uh, and then after I was sentenced, I went to a sent to Fort Worth, the uh, low security prison, and then I was kicked out of there about nine months later and sent to a medium security prison in South Texas. Why they kicked you out of that? A uh, number of reasons. I mean, I don't blame them all. Um, I mean, I was number one. I was writing columns continually and then winning awards with them. Yeah, and uh, I was I was also involved in some prison demonstrations or semi disturbances as they called them. And uh, oh yeah, so I heard about this uprising, right? Yes, there was. Uh, this is this is still before I was sentenced. This is actually a few months before my sentencing hearing. Uh, there had been an incident in which a prison guard had threatened an old man uh, on very bizarre grounds because he misunderstood something. Going um, it's a long story anyway. Uh, the whites and the paisas, which are Mexican nationals, two racial groups that had like organization at that point, whereas uh, the other groups, like blacks in particular, did not have a speaker. And oh, really? They actually called them speakers? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, I was a speaker for the whites at Siegelville. Not at that time, it was after that, um, for about two months. And the reason for that was these positions are elected. And if I hadn't run, the guy who was going to become it was an Aryan Circle member. Half the white guys at this point were like, you know, they were not into white prison shit. You know, which is really half of them because it, the, from the stories you hear, you hear that the majority have to get involved or face. Uh... It so here's the thing. So it, it and, and that is very much true, and, and historically has been true in a lot of prisons. And of course, it varies between different state prisons and the feds. And and, and then, but it, the, the thing is, when you read these prison guides, you know, the, there, there is a tendency to overstate like how things are. Um, people do that, obviously, in all walks of life. And, and so you'll say like, you can't share a cigarette with a black guy, or like, or we can't do this, and like, no, that that is the case at like uh, medium and high security prisons, you know, but. Number one, it varies quite a bit from here to there. Number two, things have changed a great deal and are still changing in the federal prison system in the last 20 years because of the, of the nature of how the feds have changed and who they target, who they imprison. So the demographics have changed. And so you have less people who are like, you know, hardened motorcycle gang members and more people in on marijuana or child porn, which is another huge demographic in prison. I'll go into that in a second. Anyway, so bottom line is that, you know, at this particular place I was at, Seagullville uh, Federal, facility. It just happened to be that, you know, of the 20% of the inmates who were whites, about, I would say, half of those, or a little bit more than half, were people who, like me, were not interested in establishing white supremacist cells in prison, nor were we as worried as the other prisoners were about, like, you know, being weak in comparison to the other races and gang, in preparation for a race war. Was that a pleasant surprise to walk into the jail and find it wasn't so extreme in terms of racial segregation, or, or at least you had allies that weren't into white supremacy? Yeah, in, in, in different different places. So, like, at the medium security prison I was at, it was less like that, uh, although the conflict tended to be between the Paisas and the uh, Tongo Blasts, which are U.S. Hispanics from, uh, from major cities in Texas and so forth. Those are the ones who had the big riot right before I got there. So, the, the whites... Hang on, so you got Paisas or American nationals? No, sorry, Paisas are Mexican nationals, Mexican nationals. And, and, or, or any Latin American nationals, uh, you know, who are and deemed as such, who identify as such, all that. Tongo Blast is, is just is one of the big gangs in that region, most in Texas in particular, that's uh, pretty much most of the U.S. born Hispanics from big cities, usually younger guys and all that. You have a couple other gangs called the Pistoleros and a few others, I can't remember some of them now. But uh, you have Mexican Mafia and Texas Syndicate, but I was never on a yard with them because this is an interesting story. <laughs> Because he talks with such speed and intensity, it was tough to know where to end the first volume of Barrett Brown's trilogy, 
but I thought I'd stop while the kettle boils. Climactic, innit? We'll rejoin him with a hot drink later in the series to hear why he wasn't allowed to be put on the same yard as those Mexican cartels, as well as prison uprisings and much, much more. Crime Club is now on Instagram, at Crime Club Pod. I've put one-minute clips up of each episode, the idea being that if you'd like to recommend it to someone, you can send them the teaser clips. I've got fuck all followers, and I'm shit at social media. But if you'd like to support Crime Club in a small way, following us on there is an option. A bigger way to support Crime Club is to enter through its back door on Patreon. At the end of the last series, I put the Chronicles of Tarquin Volume 4 up there. It's an hour-long bonus episode just for the hardcore. Volume 5 is going up at the end of this series, so if you join now, you'll get two bonus episodes for the price of one, which is a one-off payment of £3. No monthly fees, just three quid per episode, of which there is and will only ever be one per series. Links to both the Instagram and the Patreon are in the description of this episode. Jingles by Ed Beaumont, of course. That's more than enough for me. See you next week. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.